Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brad Large. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Petra Manos. Hey, how are you going? Joel Schobert. Hey, everyone. This is Joel. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevShot.TV, and this week we have a special guest, John Sanmez. Hey, guys. So, John, you haven't been on the show for a while. Do you want to just remind people who you are and what you do? Oh, sure, yeah. So... Yeah, I'm John Sanmez. I run a couple of companies. Uh, Simple Programmer is probably the one that more people have heard of. And that is a company that is focused on teaching soft skills for software developers. I've written a couple of books in the space, including the book Soft Skills and then uh, the Software Developer Career Guide. And yeah, I also run a company called Bulldog Mindset where I teach personal development and sort of mental toughness, kind of stoic philosophy, mostly geared towards men and teaching them how to be men today. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much, pretty much me. Just got a, a lot of, and I'm running an ultra marathon. So <laughs> <laughs> when I'm building a new product, G2I is the company that I call to help me find a developer who can build it. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile developers that you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to g2i.co to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget. And the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works, and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to g2i.co to learn more about G2i. Yeah, we were talking before the show, and John and I talk every week. So if you want to hear John and I talk about business stuff every week, you can go to entreprogrammers.com, and that's where all that stuff is. But uh, yeah, you've got that ultra marathon coming up. You said next weekend, right? Yeah, next weekend, 50 miles. So it's going to be going to be interesting. And I have to do it solo because, you know, with everything going on, it's been been canceled. The official one's been canceled. So it's a virtual race. So, oh, so you're not flying out to wherever it was going to be. No, it was going to cross from Idaho to Montana, but Montana has like a 14 day quarantine period. So I would have had to be in Montana like I would have had to be there now. So, oh, I gotcha. So you're just going to run it in your basement or something. I'm going to run some laps. I figured out 16.7 mile loops that I can run around my, around the bay here in San Diego. So I'll just make three, three loops and then, and then fall on the ground. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. Well, we brought you on to talk about YouTube and I know Brad's been doing some YouTube stuff. Uh, I tend to just take podcast stuff and kind of stick it on YouTube. Um, I'm curious, Joel and Petra, have you, done much with YouTube? I've got a little bit on YouTube, but I recently took some of that down because it was, um, I had a free course that I was running and I put those on YouTube, but then I wanted to sell it. So then I, I, I took those off, but I, it's fairly new for me. Yeah. And I have not been a YouTube poster. Gotcha. So why don't we start with just kind of the basics then, John, if Petra and Joel wanted to start building an audience on YouTube, where would they start? So the first thing I would say is to pick a very specific niche that you're going to focus on and really a group of people. And you want to be very, very small in what you pick so that you can 
I always tell the coaching clients I work with that you want to be able to be, you don't have to be right now, but you want to be able to be number one best in the world, right? And there's lots of different ways to slice things, right? If you say, I'm going to make a YouTube channel about C-sharp development, okay, good luck being number one best in the world there, right? You've got a lot of competition, right? You, I mean, you're going to have to take down John Skeet. That's, that's going to be tough, right? So, I mean, it, it's not going to be, it'd be easy, right? But if you slice it down and you say, well, you know, maybe within the realm of C-sharp, I'm going to pick something smaller out of there. Maybe it's like, I'm going to be the Lambda expert, right? You know, I'm just picking some things that I'm familiar with, but you know, you could pick whatever kind of thing or you could slice it a different way. In fact, I was telling someone, you know, one of, it's the same thing with, with a blog is that one of, one of the, the students that went through my blogging course, he came up with this blog called Angry Developer <laughs> and he was a C-sharp developer and, you know, and that was his way. And in fact, there's a guy, I was just watching a video. I, I like to watch some of the nostalgic YouTube videos on gaming consoles and there's a guy called Angry Video Game Nerd, right? I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but it's genius. It's perfect, right? Because being a video game reviewer, like a retro video game reviewer, it, there's a lot of people that do that. Like if you wanted to make a YouTube channel about that, good luck. Like you're gonna have to compete with a lot of people. But if you're the angry video game nerd, right, then now you've sliced things down. So you can really slice things from, from different angles. You just have to make sure that whatever you slice it, you create a small enough niche where someone can, can know who you are and know you specifically as that person. And, and like I said, you could be number one best in the world. That's really where to start because that's going to allow you to build an audience quickly. Whereas if you try to, you know, you don't, you never want to be the small fish in the big pond. It's better to be the big fish in the small pond. And then you can always grow the pond later, right? If you niche down very, I think a lot of people are afraid of niching down very small. And then they say, oh, well, then I'll just be stuck. I'll, I'll paint myself into a corner. But, you know, Jeff Bezos did the same thing, right? He only sold books on Amazon, right? And for many years, if, if you read, there's a really good book called The Everything Store that, that talks about you know, th that history. And a lot of people were pressuring him to sell other things. And he said, no, no, I'm going to be number one best at selling books first. And then once he did that, then he expanded to CDs and music, the things that you would find in, in stores. And then he went to like toys, I think it was, and then household items. And now it is the everything store. But I can guarantee you, if Jeff Bezos started out trying to build Amazon as the everything store, he would have failed miraculously. I mean, it would have been a complete flop. There would have been no way to do that because you have to gain traction. And that's the key, especially when you're, you've got YouTube that has, a, it's a huge space, so many people competing, so many people uploading videos every day. Traction is key. I think that's an interesting point. When I jumped in, I really was looking at a, a niche and you know, uh, I picked Salesforce, which is huge, but I, I realized that there was kind of like a pocket for the lowest priced offering where a lot of small businesses and medium sized businesses that I like to work with um, could utilize this product. Right. But the content for it is very salesy and it wasn't giving him much more than fluff. So I kind of shotgunned a few topics out there to validate some ideas. But, uh, you know, I'm finding that a lot of people are trying to integrate that with marketing automation. So I'm trying to further niche down and, and get that target audience and start providing enough value to them that, you know, I'm getting more leads coming in and that's been happening for my freelancing. Um, but, you know, just niching down like that can be difficult, uh, you know, especially at first, but I think that it is good to pick some kind of area and trying to, 
get a few different ideas out there, even if you're just kind of shotgunning at first and see what yeah. does get traction. Because once you get some encouragement, people commenting and asking questions, you realize you've hit a nerve with somebody there, you know, once you get that interaction, you can build from that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a really good book. I'm trying to remember what it's called now. It was, oh, shoot, it, it's, it's a, it was a popular book that I can, I can think of the name of it, but it was, it was a really like a computer science book that went mainstream recently is about machine learning or, or artificial intelligence. I can't, I can't think of the name of it right now, but a really good book. I'll have to, I'll have to figure out what it was, but in that book, they talked about the concept of basically, you know, using a lot of variety early and then annealing later on. Right. And, and so this idea that you have like, you're, you're trying all these things, but then, or, but then later on, you pick the ones that are working and then you anneal, you, you basically double down on those things and, and focus on those things. And I think that's a, it's a great strategy, you know, uh, to, to employ. And then, you know, and a lot of really successful YouTubers do that. They, they figure out, okay, what's working. And even within a niche, you can do that, right? So if you look at, if you have your niche picked out and then you make a lot of videos and then you say, oh, you know, these types of videos I'm doing are performing really well, right? I have certain ones that I know it's like, all right, you know, for my bulldog mindset, if I use the keywords alpha male, like all of a sudden there's going to get a lot of views on that. Or if I, you know, if I say Jordan Peterson, then, you know, I'm going to get a certain, you know, group of people on that. So I've kind of figured out, okay, if I make videos kind of like this, this model, this works. So yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. I've got a question on that actually. So for those of us whose main income comes from services rather than courses, the tricky thing about building an audience is that as we're, as we're delivering our service, we obviously get a lot of technical knowledge on our topic. And then when we share that information with an audience, the audience that we're attracting tend to be an audience of people that want to um, know how to do that thing. Whereas when we're selling a service, we're often selling the service to people that don't want to know how to do that thing. So you're almost attracting the opposite audience to the people that buy your service. And there's a bit of a natural polarity, I guess, between those two things. Uh, one way that a lot of uh, freelancers are solving that is by selling courses and then upselling the few people in the course that are wanting to go on to have a done for you solution. But is there a way to if someone is not interested in doing courses, is there a way to build an audience around people that are ultimately likely to purchase a service straight off the bat? Or is that a hard thing to do? I mean, I, I would say that if you build an audience that you're going to build, the, the key thing is trust, right? That's, that's what you're really aiming at with, with YouTube and the audiences because someone who trusts you is going to buy from you and you have to establish that trust. That's why YouTube is such an effective medium is because your personality comes out. Like people can see you, they trust you more. Even audio is, is, is good. It's better than a blog, right? You know, podcast is obviously good, but 
you know, for the people that are listening to this podcast, they can't see my face, right? If you, you could hear maybe from my voice and you could say, well, okay, sounds like John is pretty sincere. But if you can see my face, then you can probably see that, that I'm sincere in what I'm saying, right? Or, or you might detect, you might say, ah, I'm not sure. I think this guy's trying to sell me something or, or pull a fast one, right? So, uh, you know, th- I think that's, that's, that's one of the key things. And so I wouldn't worry too much about like the, the idea that some people are coming to learn how to do something because anyone who's trying to learn how to do something is also the perfect candidate for, uh, let me do it for you. Right. In fact, one of the, the best sales techniques I think that's possible when, when you're selling courses, like you just said, is like you do an email course and you, you give someone like a seven day email course and you say, here, I'm going to show you step by step how to, you know, do this, this particular thing in Photoshop. And then at the end of it, you say, and if you just want the templates right here, so you don't have to do this yourself, here it is for $99, right? It's the same thing with the service. You can really, you know, get those same people because sure they can watch the videos and then they're, and then maybe they're going to try to do it themselves or maybe they're, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what, you know, what type of videos you're making, but, you know, you could still pitch them. You could still, they're the same kind of people that would be potentially open to having it done for them for the right price. And then also what I found, you know, and just from my own freelancing and consulting before, well, so for example, with, with what I do with Bulldog Mindset, I have a membership site, but I also do coaching. So I do one-on-one coaching and I get plenty of people that contact me for one-on-one coaching even though I'm giving them all the information in the videos and in the membership of, of technically what I would provide. And, you know, they'd rather have the service. They'd rather have me analyze what they're doing personally and give them the feedback. Uh, and even when I was doing software development, same thing would happen with my blog. And then with, with my simple programmer YouTube channel, it would be mostly developers that would be going there, but those developers work for someone who is, trying to get a problem solved and uh, many times they'll go to their manager and they would say hey you know i found this guy on youtube he's already knows how to do this thing why don't we just hire him to do it and and then i would get you know contracts from there so i i think that it's it's not as much of an issue as as what it seems because there's always some connection right and that's the thing is like i, I would say that the big thing you need to make sure that you're doing is when you're building that audience to build an email list with that because then you can contact those people. And, and, and even if they're not the decision makers themselves that would hire you for services, they probably work for someone who is the decision maker who would hire you for services. And you can make that appeal as well. So, Yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying there. I've had that very situation occur where someone has subscribed to my email list after seeing some of my content and they immediately referred me to their managers, you know, and and in their case, they were uh, a marketing person for a fairly substantial hotel. So they passed me on to them. And the the hotel GM would have never been watching or reading my content. I just wouldn't have, but this person referred me on. So I think what you're saying there is true. If you have a, a certain number of leads coming in, you can pick and choose which ones are relevant. In my case, I want to be careful that I'm not um, making my delivery too complex by doing a whole lot of custom work for a whole lot of agencies that want to subcontract me. But if if it's um, bringing in referrals, then then for sure that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've found something similar where I, you know, the 
the only thing I've found in my, you know, somewhat limited experience, but it's just when I draw the line for people between the, you know, how I can help them earlier on, it almost acts as like a weeding out mechanism. So in, in some, some of my videos, I have like three or four that produce pretty much all of the leads I get. And, yeah. um, I mean, it, it, it's night and day difference between these and my how to videos. But what I did was I actually took a step back and went one level up. And so I noticed that like the decision of which platform within Salesforce is a big decision for a lot of people. And it could mean hundreds of dollars a month for these small companies that are really trying to watch ROI, blah, blah, blah. So they want to make the right decision, but it can be very difficult for them up front to determine. So I made a video about how to pick, right? And right. because there was an opening, I like shot to the top of the results. It's great. And most of my referrals come just from that one video. But by taking a step up and saying, what would the decision maker really be most interested here? I think you can kind of um, almost like, uh, I think it's David Fields says fish where the fish are at, right? It, it's instead of talking to your peers, you want to find that target audience. It's actually going to be a buyer. And so that's another strategy I've found too. Even if the majority of your videos are to a specific audience, um, if you wanted to appeal to that next level, then you know, you can take that step back and kind of say, okay, what are they going to be interested in? And then, you know, figure out a way to uh, get your content out there to provide value to that next level decision maker. Um, and, you know, it, it might also be a great way to uh, get better clients as well from what I've heard other freelancers talk about, um, especially a few photographers, friends of mine have taken a step back to that next level of business thinking and, and said, okay, well, how can I help that person? Right. And they make a couple of videos about that. And because nobody's writing about it or, or talking about it, they jump to the top of content blocks and, you know, become an authority figure based yeah. off that. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I'm thinking here, just to kind of back up to a couple of things and get tactical a little bit is one, you said, get people on your mailing list from YouTube, but YouTube doesn't really give you a great mechanism to do that. So are you referring people back to your website to do that? Yeah. In fact, if you want to test it out, I have, if you go to bulldogmindset.com, you'll see that there's a quiz there and that will pop up and that's what I use, right? So within my YouTube videos, I usually link to the quiz in the description. So, uh, and then a lot of times in the YouTube video, I'll say, hey, by the way, if you want to know what your, what your bulldog score is to see if you're a bulldog and I'll relate it to the topic, say we're talking about mental toughness. You want to see how mentally tough you are? Go up here and click in the cards and, you know, and take the, the bulldog quiz and see what your score is. And so, yeah, so, you know, you just have to come up with something that is going to convince them that, you know, that, that they're, it's worth the time to, to go in and click on something or fill out a form. And I found that the quiz works really, really well because everyone wants to know what, what's my bulldog score, right? Uh, so people are going to take that quiz, but you can also do, you know, any kind of content upgrade that you would for a blog post, uh, you know, like, like something like a free downloadable PDF, free course, you know, email courses work particularly well because you're delivering them in the email format. And so you're training people to open your emails, which is, is critical. But yeah, that's, you, you got to have something that's going to, to get people to, to sign up. It, it, just asking them saying, Hey, sign up for my, my newsletter. That's not very appealing. Like, so. So one other thing that I always get asked when people are talking to me about podcasting is, well, how do I know what to talk about or how do I pick my topics? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good one. You know, 
I, I do, I, I get sources from a lot of different things. So I read a lot. So I have a lot of, a lot of topics. I usually go through like three or four books a week since I'm running like 80 miles a week and I'm, I'm listening at like three X speed. So I have a lot of like just stuff that's going on in my head and I, and I have a lot of topics, you know, cause it, a lot of what I talk about is philosophy and it relates to a lot of different things, but I'd keep a list, right? That's, that's one of the key things. I just keep a list of topic ideas. I think that's really important. And, you know, at one point I was doing two videos a day and I did that for over two years and I never ran out of things to talk about. There's always something to talk about. You, you know, basically you could look at, it's the same as like coming up with a list of topic ideas for blog posts and things like that. You can look at what's already performing. That's also a good one is like, just look in your niche and see what other videos are, are doing well. In fact, that's what, I mean, YouTube is, is really a, a, a stealing platform in the sense that what, what a lot of YouTube content creators do is they just look and see, okay, what's trending in my, you know, someone did a day in the life of a, of a software developer. Oh, wow. That's got 2 million views. Okay. A day in the life as a software developer as a Facebook employee. Right. And then you make that video and you know, it's going to do well because the other one did well. So, you know, that's, it, it's not the most original thing, but that's, you got to kind of play to the algorithm. Right. But, you know, you can always come up with ideas. The thing is, you have to have some kind of a deadline, right? And, and you should always have a list ahead of time. Because if you try to sit down and come up with a video idea, you're going to waste a lot of time. But if you try to sit down and come up with 50 video ideas, you're not going to waste very much time. It'll, it'll take you less time sometimes to come up with 50 than it will to come up with one. Uh, so so spend the time coming up with the ideas rather and then record them later don't try and combine those things together but um, but the other thing you can do too is you can just rehash the same stuff right i mean if you listen to to you know radio talk shows or if you listen to uh, motivational speakers especially love to do this is they just say the same thing over and over again uh, they even write the same thing in their books they write you know, 10 books and it says the same thing in there. They just rehash it in some way, but you know, someone hasn't heard it in your audience or people want to hear it again, or you have a different take on it. You know, look at the things that are popular and revisit them and make a part two of it. Yeah. So you're, you're never going to run out basically as, as long as you, you, you know, have, as long as you, you do stuff like that, as long as you have a list going and, uh, and, and you're willing to reuse ideas, but, but yeah, it, yeah. You know, sometimes you need a constraint to help you be more creative. So do you recommend the, um, cause you were saying that for a while you're doing two videos a day. Do you recommend mm -hmm. frequency? So things have changed, uh, in, in society, I would say. Now you it need used, two per hour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you, it used to be that being prolific as hell, that used to be my best strategy. It was being prolific as hell as a contact content creator. And I would just produce as much stuff as possible. And that used to work, right? When no one was doing it and, and you could get away with it. And I mean, I would produce you know, a blog post a day and my blog would grow. I was making YouTube videos two a day and it was just skyrocketing the growth of my YouTube uh, channel. But that's not the case anymore. There's too much noise now. Same thing like, I mean, on, on Twitter, right? Like it's, it's like you could send out a tweet and have a bunch of followers and like maybe you're gonna get 1% of them click it, maybe even if, if even that much, right? You know, I know I've done tweets where I've gotten like three clicks out of 50,000 followers on Twitter. So 
my, my point is, is that there's so much noise out there that just creating a lot of content is not a good solution anymore. And the algorithms have adapted on the various platforms, right? So for example, you know, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, just because someone is your friend or subscribe to you does not mean they're going to see the content you produce anymore. It used to be that every time you put out content, everyone who was subscribed to you or everyone who's a friend for you on Facebook or followed you on Instagram saw your content. Right, same thing on YouTube. If you subscribe to a channel, you used to get all of the videos. Not anymore. The algorithm determines it now in many cases. And so certain content surfaces. So, so basically what you have to do is what, uh, what, what Nicholas uh, Taleb would call the, the barbell strategy, which is this idea that you, you need to have something like, you know, maybe 80 to 90% of your content is you, you, you focus on being prolific, like getting, you need to still have a good volume of content, but about 10% of it, maybe you focus on home run content, really epic content that's going to hit it out of the park, right? Uh, you know, that's, I think that's probably the most effective strategy. This way you still get some base hits in there, but then every once in a while you get some home runs. Now, you know, different people have, have gone to the other extreme and that still works, but it's really hard which is to just create epic content, right? There's some YouTube channels that grow really well and they only create one video a week or maybe even one video a month. But then that video is just perfectly, it's, it's like a perfect cinematography, you know, all, everything is, is, is great, well-researched, scripted out, right? If you, if you go to that level of detail, you can, you can really do well. The only problem is that there's a survivorship bias for those content creators because there's a lot of people that are doing that approach and that are failing and you never hear of them. You only hear of the super successful ones and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort uh, with, a, with a high risk. That's why I think there's a, a, the best approach right now is a balanced approach. Is number one, if you're niching down really far, then you're going to be talking to the people that that matter there there's not as much noise there in a smaller niche right in the large one there's a lot of noise but you can cut down the noise that way and then number two by employing that strategy where you're still going to be prolific being prolific is important you have to be consistent you know if you're making youtube videos really you should be making at least one a week right but every once in a while maybe every couple of weeks or so, or, or, or maybe a couple of months, you create something of a, of a higher caliber, really epic content. And, and you're really, you know, that's going to be a piece that, that you're going to get a lot of search volume from. And, and, and that's the reason why actually that the prolific stopped working as much is because on YouTube, especially you used to get a lot of, most of your traffic used to come from your back catalog of videos. It used to be search engine traffic on, on YouTube. But now YouTube's algorithm suggests videos not based on search as much anymore. People don't need to search because YouTube is smart enough to know, hey, if I put this here, you're gonna watch it and they already show you what you're gonna watch. And so, yeah, so, so that's, that's why that really has shifted. So the question though was how, how frequently should I post then? I would say at least once a week, honestly, if you really wanna grow a channel. I like the coaching clients that I work with, I try to get them to do a minimum of two times a week and then eventually get them to three times a week. And what I do, the way we work on this is, for example, one of my, one of my coaching clients, uh, Gregory, uh, he has a channel called DAP University. You guys can check that out if you want. And what we're doing with him 
is, I think he's doing one technical video now per week that is sort of a tutorial how to, it requires a lot of work. And then he's doing two talking head videos where he's just giving an opinion or an interview or something like that. So it's, it's manageable because the talking head videos are easier to do, right? And, you know, when he started out, I think he was just doing one video a week and then he got to the point where he could do two and then, and then three. And so that kind of gives a good balance there. Hey folks, are you trying to stay current and all the stuff that's going on in the React community? There's a lot going on, a lot to keep track of, and we keep seeing conferences and other events being canceled. I'm putting on a remote conference for React developers in August. You can come check it out at reactremoteconf.com. The night before, we're starting out with a pre-party that's a watch party of some of our favorite React talks given over the last year. And then we'll have three days of live talks where you can interact with our speakers and other attendees in a Slack room and during the talks in the comments. So come join in the fun and join us at reactremoteconf.com. I was going to ask that exact question because talking head videos are really easy to produce. But do people even engage with talking head videos anymore? Because I see a lot of... Um, YouTube videos now have turned more towards cinematography type story scripted videos. And um, obviously they take a lot more work to produce. I don't even know if people are interested in the talking head ones or if they're just going to fly by in the channel. Yeah. I mean, pretty much all of my videos are talking head videos, right? That's, uh, that's what, what I've been building on. A good example in the space in software development is Tech Lead. So Tech Lead, if you've seen him, and he, he's figured something out, right? He actually has a good course on, on YouTube videos. I think he just released, I just joined his course and it was, it was pretty good. And he's figured out the whole like personality. He's playing a character. He's playing a apart right uh, he's got he's, he's pulling on your emotional string right he did this video about his wife leaving him and and he did you know videos about you know, all kinds of, of things like that and he you know has, he's this kind of arrogant a-hole type of person that's not who he really is in real life but but he plays it up I'm the tech lead you know so so there's there, you know that's what people want people want human interaction and stories. That's really what they want. I mean, sure. Yeah. People are Googling, how do I, you know, do this? And they're looking for a tutorial, but I guarantee you, if you can give them what they're looking for and then entertain them at the same time, they're going to come back. They're going to come back for the personality. They're going to want to know that what, you know, that your dog just died. Like if you're not that person, they don't care, right? Too many people, they just post on social media what they're eating for lunch and they went for a run and no one cares. But once you've got people where you're giving them something and you're entertaining them, then you become a celebrity to them and they start to become interested in you. Just like, you know, People Magazine, right? It's like, oh, Tom Cruise was eating an ice cream cone in the Santa Monica restaurant. And, oh, you know, who cares? Well, a lot of people care because they care about Tom Cruise, right? If, if you're just someone eating an ice cream cone, it doesn't matter, right? On your, so you got to become the celebrity first, which means giving, you know, first of all, playing some kind of a part, right? And, and it's, it doesn't mean it's fake. You, you just amp your personality to some degree, right? You know, what, what are you going to play on? You can play a character. It can be a fake character, but it doesn't have to be. You can just be amping on that and having some kind of emotional draw, having some kind of story to it, and then giving the people what they actually came there to learn. And that's that edutainment. And that's what's going to make you kind of a celebrity in people's eyes. And that's where they're going to, you're, you're going to get them to 
to want to know more about you and, and you're going to draw them in better. So I think that's really, really the key. And if you look at the YouTubers that are doing the best, it's usually people like that, that, that are, are, are doing all of those elements. And to kind of bring it back to your target audience as well. Most of the people that reach out to me to work with me, I have like closed because they want to work with me. Exactly. So because I'm just my normal self in my videos, I'm not great at that. Honestly, I think I should put more personality into my videos sometimes, but a lot of the people that have reached down to me, I've made money off of on some level because they they're kind of like one. I was like, dude, I don't even know if I can help you. Like that's not my specialty. And he was like, I don't really care. Uh, I want to work with you. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you do get some of that. And I think, that's honestly one of my big struggles is getting this going and trying to get more because it, that's what everybody's talking about now is the story and how to implement those pieces. But you know, you can just kind of put your personality in there too, even with the talking head videos, but the, th the three of the four videos that get me most of my leads are talking head videos. So, um, yeah, yeah. People want to connect with people and that's what it is. You know, you look at, sometimes I think it's, it's easy to be like, Oh, well the high production stuff and you know, people are making YouTube videos that look like movies and you're are you going to beat Pixar, Disney studio? Are you going to beat MGM and like, you know, all these major movie studios in your production? No. <laughs> so don't like, you don't want to compete on that level. You want to compete on the level of what do they don't, what don't they have? They don't have genuine human connection. That's what they're missing because you know it's fake Hollywood stuff. You know what I mean? But if you're a real person coming through on the camera, just like you said, Brad, you know, people are going to want to do business with you because you're going to be more than just a celebrity to them. You're going to be someone who they actually know and they trust. They feel like they already know you and, and they're going to want to work with you. So I think that's really the, the benefit. And that's the thing that you have to realize that YouTube is, is providing it. It's not meant to be a replacement for television or movie and, and, and that it, it's supposed to be something that, you know, it creates that human connection. And that's what we're, we're, we're following the drama of, of these people's lives. A lot of times that's what, what it is. It's like a big soap opera, you know? I would also yeah. say that when you're getting started, we talked a little bit about production value. Like you don't need a crazy amount of production. Like if you have, decent to see if your idea is even going to get traction. You can test it out pretty simply. My original videos, you know, <laughs> they, they were just garbage. The first videos I did, I look back and I'm like, oh, those were just horrible. But people enjoyed the content. I was providing value to people. And one of the one of my original videos still does really well. And so I redirect them to content where I updated that and said, oh, by the way, this is on a date. So I just put a tag in the video so they can click through to the new video and get the updated, like better production value version of it. Right. So if you do find traction, there are ways that you can kind of redirect that traffic as well. But, you know, if you're just starting out tactically, I would think, you know, don't get too bogged down in the details, especially we're talking about a bunch of technical people out there on, on the freelancer show mostly. Um, you know, you're going to get caught up in the details. You're going to want high production value. You're going to want it to be technically accurate, obviously. But I would say if you're making it very, you know, technically accurate and relevant for today, then, um, you know, keep, even if the production value is just a screen capture and you talking, um, just do that at first, right? You, you can do that and see if your idea has traction, especially as you weigh out, you know, which direction you want to go. Yeah. I mean, you can use your phone camera. The phones today are, are playing. I mean, heck the newest iPhone does 4k video 
like that's i mean i don't even shoot 4k i've got a c100 like a movie camera here this, that i'm using here and it doesn't shoot 4k so your your iphone in some ways it might be better than a $2,500 camera. So, you know, you can use that. The audio on it, even unamplified from the iPhone, like when you're holding it out from you, is actually pretty dang good. But but the biggest thing I would say, like if you're going to invest anywhere, is getting the audio right. Because audio makes a difference. But you could buy a lapel mic. Like the cheapest thing to do is just to buy a lapel mic that plugs right into your iPhone. And those are $15. And you will get beautiful sound because it's so close to the, your your mouth when you speak but uh, but yeah you don't really have to invest invest a huge amount in it you know getting good at editing is is probably a beneficial thing that's you know that those are the areas i would focus on is is audio and editing yeah i was going to ask about editing because one of the things that turns me off a little bit about video is the the editing and so i um i ended up working with a freelancer who was editing for me, but I didn't even know what instructions to give him, like in terms of a style. I just said, oh, edit it. <laughs> so he, he pretty much just put an intro at the beginning and an outro, and, and that was the end of it really, because I didn't give him any direction. Um, but even then, I found that creating video, I needed to set aside a certain budget for editing, and then a budget for promoting that content and I didn't really know where my budget should be spent in order to get a good return on investment. So perhaps you could um, give us some suggestions on, um, like for, for those of us that don't have a good budget yet, where we should spend our budget when it comes to getting freelancers to help. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So as far as the editing, I mean, editing is kind of an interesting one because you know, most, most movies that we see, what makes a movie is the edits. It can be completely different. If you've ever seen those little parodies they do of, I think it's, I forget what it's called, where they do trailers and they redo trailers as, you know, as funny or parody trailers. It's just editing. It's just clever editing, right? And they completely change the story and plot line of the entire thing just by editing. So editing is powerful and it's probably one of the most creative aspects of the content creation now, with that said, I don't do editing myself anymore. I know a lot of big YouTubers that still do editing themselves because they want to have control of that creative process. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's questionable, right? I mean, definitely if you do your own editing, you can control how the message is delivered and, and you can control the the feel of it. I had I had a really good editor that, that did a pretty good job. I just recently lost him and, and, and have a new editor, but... Uh, but um, but I, I find that it's valuable to have an editor because it takes so much time to do the edits, right? I, I'm probably never going to do edits myself. I'm not a cinematographer. You know, I really just want the basic edits to be done with, with my content. So, but I do think that's one of the best investments for someone doing YouTube is, is to spend some money on, on hiring an editor because it's going to save you time, especially if, you know, if YouTube's your whole thing, if you're just doing YouTube, okay, edit your own stuff, right? You, you'll be fine, right? But if you're trying to run another business and you're using YouTube for lead generation and, you know, you're part-time YouTuber, then you probably need to hire an editor. It's probably not going to make sense to, to do it on your own. So setting aside some budget there, you know, and you can get it done fairly cheaply. You know, you can find, cause it's not a very high demand skill or, well, let me put it this way. It's, it's not a very high 
requirement skill. Like it doesn't require a high level of skill in order for you to develop that. Someone can become a video editor in a very short amount of time. Now there's really skilled ones, of course, but you know, I, I found that I can hire people anywhere from five to $20 an hour and have good editors, but you have to screen them out. So that's where I would put some budget money. As far as like promoting the videos, that's where things get tougher because determining the ROI on that is, is really tough. And, and you're probably not going to get a measurable ROI if you're not really selling a very high ticket item right away or, or have a back end funnel, right? You know, so I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of, of spending money promoting YouTube videos. I think it's better to just create good content and organically grow the channel. But, you know, if you're thinking for the long term, you could potentially invest in in advertising for your videos and trying to get the promotion out there. It's just you're not going to be able to measure the results, right? Because, you know, the the thing is even even with my membership right now for Bulldog Mindset membership, a lot of times I pull the people that come into the membership, right? And I'm like, hey, you know, where did you hear about Bulldog Mindset? Where, why did you join and stuff? And so many times people, their response is, oh, I've been watching your videos for four years. And I finally decided that I want to I wanna join. I want to transform my life. And I'm like, wow. So like, you know, if someone's been watching for four years, who, how do I measure if I spent some advertising dollars four years ago, you know I mean? Like it's, it, it takes that long a lot of times for people to convert. So because people warm up to you and they've been following you and then finally, you know, someone's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for coaching. I want you to coach me or I want to buy the service from you. So unless you've got a really tight funnel where you're measuring the ROI directly, then you know, I would not spend money on advertising because if you can't say, okay, I spent a dollar on advertising and I got back a dollar and a quarter, then you're kind of, you know, you're, you're taking a big, a big risk there because how do you know if your money's being spent well or not? It's, it's really hard to tell. So. I feel sorry for the people that um, did three years worth of videos and then gave up thinking they weren't going to get an ROI on it. That only lasted one extra year. They would have had, all those four-year people too. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, you know, I think that's, that's it's with podcasting, it's with blogging, it's with YouTubing, right? The big thing I always tell people is that five years is the minimum that you need to commit to something in life. If you want to, anything that you want to really achieve any level of high success at life, you need five years, right? Whether that be getting in, you want, you want to build a great physique, get in shape. All right. Commit five years of your life. You want to build a business five years. You want to build a YouTube channel five years, podcast five years, whatever it is, five years. And, and that's so critical because so many people give up so soon because what happens is it's like, you know, it's like an exponential curve. It's just like, it's just like the coronavirus curve, right? Like when you look at it, this is like your YouTube channel. It's like this, it's like this, oh, it's not growing. And then people give up, but then they're, you know, they're five feet from gold. This is like, it's about to go into hockey stick territory once you gain traction and, and it's, it's got that exponential growth curve to it. And that's the thing that, you know, most people give up before then, right? It's like I was compared to running a marathon it's like, you know, at the starting line of the marathon, there's all these people. You're like, wow, all these people are here to run. And, you know, it's a big crowd. And then around mile 20, you're like looking around and you're like, where did all the people go? There's like people lying on the side of the road and people walking and people that just gave up. And, 
you know, and that's how it is, is like everyone starts a podcast, everyone starts a YouTube channel, everyone starts their blog, but how many people are there a year later still doing it? Not very many. And it's because they don't have the page because you don't see the results. So you, that's why you have to trust the process and divorce the results from the process that gets you those results and just keep on going. And, you know, if you keep on going and you're keep on being consistent, eventually you're going to get traction and you're going to succeed. But majority of people give up, you know, before they make it to that point. And that's, that's, that's a tough thing, but you know, almost everyone who, who pushes through eventually makes it and they, and they eventually hit some kind of traction. So. Yeah. Petra and I actually had a conversation yesterday about podcast sponsorship and, you know, the idea that, yeah, people think that they can just sponsor a podcast episode once or three times, and then they're immediately going to come in and buy their thing. And it just doesn't work that way. And it's the same thing with all of this other stuff, like you're talking about. It's once you become part of the, the conversation in their head, mm-hmm. and that takes months or years that's when you turn around and you say, okay, by the way, add this into the conversation in your head, go join the mailing list, you know, yeah. add this into your conversation in your head, go buy this product. That, that's when it starts to pay. Exactly. Oh so, yeah. I mean, people, um, I, I have one client that we're, we're doing a podcast together and you know, they're paying me every month for it and it's been two months and he's not seeing all the results that he wants. Yeah. And, you know, and so now we're having a conversation about whether or not to continue. And I'm telling him, look, it's a six month process before this really kicks in and you're going to see any kind of ROI, except for, you know, the person you hit at exactly the right time at exactly the right angle. And yeah. so anyway, it's, it's interesting there. One other thing I want to throw out there really quickly is on the, the editing your video. If you edit your videos for the first little while, and it's the same for podcasts or anything else. Um, what I tell people is, is you need to do that for the first month or two. And the reason is essentially so that when you go to hire somebody to do it, you can have a conversation with them and know whether or not they're competent. Um, and that'll save you a lot of time. You spend a five minute phone screening instead of actually giving them your video file and saying, can you do this? Um, you can go, oh, th- this, this person, they have video editor on their Upwork profile or, you know, freelancer.com. But it turns out that I know more about it than them. And they're not going to be able to hack what I want. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just wanted 100%. to throw that in. That's, that's what I started you know, out with editing my own podcast and my own YouTube videos. And in fact, when I hired my first editor, what I did was I recorded a video of me editing one of my videos and, you know, just so he could see exactly what I'm doing. And I, what I was really looking for was some feedback for him to say, Oh yeah, you, you should, you, you're doing this wrong or inefficiently or, you know, then, then you know that you've got someone good. Right. Uh, but even if they're not that good, they can still take the process that you're doing. Like, and, and when I do it, I do this for a lot of my training is I always think out loud. Right. So if I'm editing my video and I'm recording, I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut this part here because of this. And, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to back up. I'm going to hit this hot key. Right. And I'm just talking about everything and every decision I'm making out loud. So they know why I'm making the decision so that they understand. Cause what, what I really want my the people that are working for me to do is to have a model of my mind, a heuristic, you know, the heuristics that I use. And I was able to actually train one of my guys to be able to answer all my emails basically, uh, basically because he knows how I think he knows the heuristics like that are re- required to answer the emails. And then he's able to answer all those emails. But, uh, but yeah, training, training the editor is definitely important and, and doing it yourself is 
is the way that you you know how to train them. Well, you were exporting into Og Vorbis. I know you were, right? And so they they corrected you on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest tip I'd have for editing videos if you're getting started, because I had to teach myself. I took a couple hours and learned how to edit and do all that when I got started. And, you know, to keep everything linear, when you're recording, just record a couple takes. If you mess something up, it's way easier to cut a huge chunk of video out than it is to go back and try to piece anything together. So if you mess it up, clap your hands and move on. That's when I, I like clap my hands so I can mark the spot in the video without having to tag it later or anything. And then I just cut out all the garbage until I, you know, even if I take three takes of a 20 second clip, that's one minute instead of spending five or 10 minutes trying to edit it. So as you get started, you know, especially if you're going through a like more linear how to's or technical guides that can be really helpful. Just yeah. really nail it. Like, do it twice if you have to, but really nail it. It'll save you four or five times that easily in editing just by redoing the video. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. In fact, the very first time I was making a course, it was my first time I'd ever experienced editing at all. I didn't know that you could edit. Like I didn't know you could cut stuff out. So I was recording a tutorial and it literally took me, I was doing a 15 minute tutorial. It took me four hours to record it because I had to get through, I kept on messing up. And then when I mess up, I would start over completely because <laughs> I didn't know about editing. I was recording in Camtasia. It's my first time making a course. And yeah. And then, and then when, when someone showed me, they're like, well, why did it take you so long? I was like, oh, you could edit this. I was like, oh, I could just cut out these pieces. <laughs> and then that changed my flow. And now, you know, every time when I'm recording videos, I just, I just go and I just know I can come back and edit it, you know, do a clap or I, or I say cut and then I know where the cuts are. But. So one thing that I want to throw in here real quick, we're kind of getting into the time a little bit, but we've talked a lot about kind of the beginner level stuff. You know, how do I get started? How do I get this stuff together? How do I get things rolling? Um, for somebody like Brad, who's maybe a little bit more established, you know, or the devchat.tv channel has, you know, a thousand something subscribers. Let's say I want to grow that to 10,000 or 20,000 or, you know, a million. What should I be doing at that point to, you know, now that I have people who are subscribed to my channel, uh, you know, grow that audience? Yeah. So there's a few different things I would say. I mean, when you're really starting out, the best thing to do is to target specific keywords and questions that people have, right? So you don't want to make general broad type of content, even in your niche. Instead, you want to specifically answer a very specific question that someone has that they might type into Google or YouTube. The reason for this is simple, is remember YouTube works off of a suggestion algorithm. And so if you're a small channel, YouTube's not suggesting your stuff. They're not going to, because it doesn't matter, because they know you're probably not relevant. But if people are searching specifically for a specific question, uh, then you're, you're more likely to have your stuff surface because there's no one else that's written, you know, made a YouTube video with exact title of, of exactly what they're searching for. So that can let you grow initially. The second thing I would say is that, you know, as, as you're going past that stage, uh, there's, a, there's a few other tactics you can use. One of them is collaboration, right? So you can find other channels that have more subscribers and you can do some kind of collab with them, whether you get on a live stream with them, you know, or you, 
invite them to do a video for your channel, you do a video for their channel, right? There's a lot of ways to, to do that collab that, and that, you know, the, the smaller you are, the more impactful big collabs can be because, you know, one of my coaching clients just today, we we're just looking at his, his stats and he basically got a 25% lift of subscribers in his YouTube channel just from doing one collab. So if you can grow by 25% by doing one collab, it's worth it. At some point, there's diminishing returns as you grow bigger where it's not going to matter. You know, you're going to triple the number of subscribers you get in a day, but that's only three days worth of subscribers. So big deal, right? So, uh, so that's one. Uh, another one I would say though, that's, that's important, which we kind of discussed already, but make sure that you create content that's polarizing, right? And this is, this is critical. And, and it doesn't have to polarize on political viewpoints, right? So, you know, the famous example of polarizing content that I always use is Donald Trump, right? Most people either love him or hate him, right? It doesn't really matter which side you fall on. I, I don't really care. But the, the lesson to be learned from that is that he was really good at polarizing people and that really helped him a lot, right? You know, whether you think he's an idiot and he he did it accidentally because he's an idiot or you think that he's brilliantly smart and a master of persuasion. Again, you have one of those viewpoints most likely even about that topic, but regardless, regardless of why he did it, it worked. Right. And that's one of the things to, to understand. Mar Margaret Thatcher was also really good at that, but you know, most people aren't familiar with that, that analogy. So, uh, so what I mean by this, you know, in, in saying that it doesn't have to be political is that let's say that you're making a, a channel about JavaScript. Okay. Don't be afraid. Don't make a video and say, you know, these are what might be the top five JavaScript frameworks, right? And then present them all equally. Just be like, these are, this is the top JavaScript framework. The other ones suck. And this is why, right? Like be bold in what you're saying and polarize people. And some people are going to get on your channel and they're going to type in the comments that are going to tell you what an idiot you are and how, how stupid you are. Right. And other people are going to be like, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I hate those angular guys or whatever it is, you know, uh, but that's great because you're going to get people that are going to be excited. They're going to share your message because both the haters and the people who, who love your content are both going to share your message and you're going to get the notoriety and, and it's going to, make people make a decision about you, right? When I do my intro for my Bulldog Mindset videos, you know, right off the bat, I'm telling people, you know, I'm going to teach you how to be a man. I'm going to teach you these things. And some people, they're like, I don't like this guy. This guy sounds like a chauvinist pig and I don't, you know, and, and they're gone and they're off the channel and they're never going to, but, but I want them gone. But other people are like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to learn how to do this. I want to get a good, I want to get six pack abs. I want to, you know, uh, and, and so, th and those people are excited and they're going to click subscribe and they're going to watch all the videos and they're going to binge watch videos. Right. Whereas if I came in with a very neutral approach, mm, you know, it's, it's just not going to be appealing. Like people be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I watch this channel sometimes for some tutorials and stuff like that. Right. That that's what they're going to think of. But when you polarize people, that's where you see the massive growth. And if you look again, if you look at mainstream media, if you look at, you know, places where, where you have you know, different people, even on YouTube that have grown a lot, right. You know, some examples like Steven Crowder, right. He, he's the famous guy for, for coming to college campuses with the change my mind thing. Right. That's, that is polarizing. It's, it's direct. It is. In fact, it's completely polarizing because you're either one side or the other. He completely divides you and, and, and makes you choose. Right. And so you're going to love him or hate him. Right. Typically. Right. A lot of people like that, that pull. And again, 
I'm using political examples because they're the most polarizing, but it doesn't have to be political at all. Just whatever your opinion is, hold it strongly and, and express it strongly. It doesn't mean that you have to be an arrogant or be a jerk or, or anything like that. You can, you can change your opinion it, you know, if you find new information and you can make a video saying why you change your opinion on something and that will be a great you know, dramatic video as well. But, but remember that people are watching stuff to be entertained and they want to be excited about things and you have to get the emotional involvement. That's the difference between being a channel that has like mediocre growth and one that has like a, a really huge growth is, is that, that polarizing element. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. So instead of saying, uh, here's why you shouldn't blah, 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 it's blah, blah, blah is garbage and you shouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole because it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be that blunt, but you could be right. right. I mean, it, it depends on what the persona that you're playing yeah. is. Right. But you have to be very strong in your, in, in, in the position that you hold so that you're, you're not, if you're afraid to step on people's toes, then you're probably not going to grow on YouTube. I look at that and that's something that I've been doing in my channel as it's, as I have gotten feedback, as I see what the people watching, what their assertions and assumptions are. And I actually have mirrored those in some instances, like a lot of small and medium sized businesses don't really want to invest that much in their businesses. So I push them on that point sometimes, you know, in some of my videos, I'll say, Hey, if you're not willing to do this investment, then you're probably not going to get the outcome you want. Right. Like having those assertions built in there and kind of pushing it, towards that, you can do that. And like you say, it's not necessarily um, right or wrong for everybody, but at the same time, this is the assumption that I bring to the work that I do. And, and, you know, some people really respond well to that and other people bounce and that's fine. But it, you know, yeah, as far as the first initial piece of growth, I'm really glad that you called out, like find the, find that gap. If you can find, like, if you go to Google and type in whatever you, niche you want, you'll get 10 results instantly. If you go to YouTube and any of those are missing, there's your chance to make a video that's going to get some, you know, visibility right off the bat. And that's kind of what I did to, to get my first, you know, whatever. I, I'm, at, I'm not at much. I have like an hour and a half of view time a day from people, right? But I got that simply because I went to Google and figured out where the, where the gap was. So I think if people are looking for topics or intros into it, then go to Google, see what's missing. You know, the, the difference is between the Google top 10 results and the YouTube, YouTube top 10 results. Uh, there's your entry point. But, and then once you get some people, figure out what their assertions are and be more assertive about those things. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's it also, you know, it, it's the thing that builds trust, right? Because you, you know, those people, right. That you, you, you have a conversation with them and, and you're, you're trying to get them to just show some kind of level of commitment or emotion or, and they're just neutral. They're just like, you're like, you know that they're thinking something. They have something in their mind. You know, they have, they, everyone has an opinion on something, but they're not, 
they're just being polite and they're, and you're like, okay, you don't really trust those people. They're not genuine. Right. Whereas even someone who you disagree with that you might think is a jerk, at least you respect them because they're genuine. You're like, okay, this guy may be an a-hole, but you know what? He's at least like, I, I could, I resp- he at least stands by what he says. Like he, he's not just, just shining me on. Right. So I think that's, that's, that's why it comes across that way. And that's why, like, like you said, when you directly address the issues and you're like, look, if you're not gonna, I mean, maybe this isn't right for you. Maybe you're not ready to commit to, to growing your business. That's fine. But you know, that's, I'm not going to lie to you and pretend like, like, like it is. And that, and that's the truth. Like you're, you're not afraid to offend them. So they're like, okay, this is the guy I want. Cause I trust this guy. Cause he's going to tell me, you know, it's like even in the coaching business, right? When I coach a lot of clients, one of the things I tell them when I first start coaching is I'm like, look, I, a lot of consultants and coaches, they're famous for doing this. They're famous for saying like, Hey, so what do you think about this? I'm like, I'm not going to ever do that to you. I'm going to tell you what I think about it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. I'm not going to say, oh, you need to make that decision for yourself. No, I'm going to give you the decision. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do because that's what you're hiring me to do. And you're not going to like it. It doesn't matter because don't pay me if you don't like it because that's what, what my job is. It's not to like shine you on and to make you feel good about yourself. It's, it's, a, it's to make you have results. And people want that. That's what they want. It's, it's hard to do it because you're afraid I'm going to alienate people. But that's, you know, that's the message that you need to have. All right. I have one more thing that I want to bring up just because I am lazy. Okay. And because I am lazy, I don't want to do extra work. So if I make this video, how can I just make the most of it? And I'm talking about like reusing the content and stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. if I, if I make the video, I mean, I want to put it on Instagram. I want to put it on Twitter. I want to put, you know, and, and, you know. I guess build up, I want to build my audience on YouTube to be sure, but dang, if I don't want to build these other audiences and I've already made this content, so how do I reuse it? Okay. Well, so that's what I, so what I do, my process is this, is my primary source of content is video. So I record the video and then from the video, my editor puts it on YouTube. He also puts it on, on Facebook and then he creates clips out of it to put on Instagram. So we're getting the clips from there. And then uh, those same clips can go on Twitter. And then he creates quote cards out of what I said, if I see something in the video and then creates a little quote and we can put that out uh, through there. And then we take the audio from the video and we make a podcast out of it. So we get kind of all those things. Now it's better to create content in the native platform, right? But if you can get a process like this in place that doesn't really cost you much, then it's, it's worth being, being out there, you know, for Instagram though, Chuck, uh, you're really, it's, it's going to be hard to gain traction. Like Instagram is one of the hardest ones to gain traction of uh, for, unless you're going to be in a bikini. So if you do the bikini videos, then, you know, I'll, I'll start the, tomorrow. Okay. That's, that's the thing about Instagram. Instagram is like impossible to get organic growth on unless, unless it's, um, that's the bikini pictures, you know, that kind of stuff. So I have How a nice camera. Is, I just uh, need a nice bikini. Go ahead, Joel. <laughs> How useful is uh, LinkedIn for posting to and, and building some audience and driving them to your site? You know, I think it's, I think it's good. I haven't focused as much on LinkedIn. I probably should focus more. I'm hearing a lot more from, from people, you know, with, with what I'm doing now with Bulldog, I haven't focused on it simply because it's, it's not where most of my audience is. But for software developers, absolutely. I think that's a, it's a huge, huge thing now doing posts. In fact, 
I was just talking to a guy who was looking for a job. And so he wrote up like a blog post on the, the LinkedIn Pulse, I think it's called. And then he had like the segue into the story of where he's at in life. And it was basically like, you know, his, the, the story was essentially going into his resume and then talking about that, that he's currently available for work. And he got like so many people that, uh, that offered him jobs. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a, a good one to leverage, you know, professionals are on there and, and there's not too many people that are, are creating good LinkedIn content. So yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah. I'll also add that over the last year or two before that, it wasn't super helpful. Like people had profiles on LinkedIn, yeah. but they wouldn't engage. And now it's a different animal altogether and they've added the capacity to add videos. So, and they're not as picky about what you repurpose onto them. Mm-hmm. And so you can get away with a good deal more over there. The only tricky thing that I've found with um, video and LinkedIn is if you've created a whole bunch of videos for YouTube that are like 15 minute type ones, you've got to edit them all down to 10 minutes for LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. They've got a 10 minute limit, okay. which um, doesn't always fit if you've done a whole tutorial, trying to get the whole tutorial into 10 minutes can be a bit of a pain. Yeah, I suppose you can always split it up into parts, into, into two parts, or you can modify your YouTube process to make sure that you keep your videos around that 10 minute mark and then you can just break them up into smaller granularity so you have multiple pieces that you're doing of, of a tutorial. But I think it's important on LinkedIn to keep the, the audience that you're trying to reach and, and what the purpose of it is too. So like a lot of people that I've found just my network doesn't respond well to any of the technical stuff, right? But if I put something out there that's giving an opinion about what Salesforce is doing, then they're all over it, right? So furthering a conversation, using LinkedIn to do that, or if you are looking for a job or for prospects, then you have to be very mindful about the type of content and tailoring it directly to highlight that, right? So I think that it's kind of difficult to translate some video to LinkedIn, but if you keep that focus on why you're doing it, front of mind, then it's, it's like anything, right? It's just, you have to be mindful. And I think there's a lot of stray on LinkedIn because it's a professional network, but people still go there to commiserate about their jobs, their careers, their businesses and all that kind of stuff. So the more that you speak to that from an engagement perspective and, you know, flavor it with what you do, the, the more effective I found that to be. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. That reminds me also of another point for, for YouTube and growth in general, which is to hijack the, the trending topics or, or news. Right. So, and then relate it to your thing. Right. And you can, anyone can do this. Right. So when COVID-19, you know, the COVID-19 topic is, is a pretty popular topic. And so you can say, you know, as a Salesforce developer, how do you, you know, deal with COVID-19? How did COVID-19 affect Salesforce developers? <laughs> how does COVID-19 affect blank? You know, whatever it is, there's going to be a blank and it's going to, you're going to have something to say about it. Right. And so you can even just take topics that you have that you're going to make videos on anyway, and then see what's happening in the news and then make a, a title that, basically segues into that right you can always come up with some kind of title that's that's going to fit there and then you know and then you're going to get a lot more views on that that content because that's what's relevant people are interested in that Uh, along with that also another key thing for youtube uh, while i'm at it is make sure that you have really good titles and thumbnails that's become really key lately 
as as that you know the, the click through rate is is really important. So you know you kind of have to make titles that are what some people would call. I don't really like the term clickbait because I think it's ridiculous because yeah, that's what all media has always been doing clickbait forever. That's it's just good copywriting. It's just being a smart writer is is making a title that people want to click and read. So make a title that people want to click and read. Don't worry if people call it clickbait. It's only really bad if you make a title and then it's completely gives them something opposite of what they thought they were going to get. But if it's a question mark or a surprise or something or you know it's curiosity click, then it can never be clickbait in, in, in that sense, but uh, but make sure that you write you know good titles and and have really good visuals for the thumbnails that are going to intrigue people so that they click to find out. So I like it. All right, John. If people want to see what you're working on or go watch your YouTube channel just to get some examples of what's working for you, right? So they could go and look and see. Okay, what's John saying about bulldog mindset? And then okay, how can I apply this to Salesforce or whatever it is that you do in our audience, um, where do they find you? So go to bulldogmindset.com and take the quiz. See what your bulldog score is. From there, I will send you an email and give you more information. And then you'll be able to see my videos and and, and all of that stuff. So uh, yeah, just go to bulldog, bulldogmindset.com. That's the easiest thing. And then there'll be a pop-up that says, you want to see what your bulldog score is and just take the quiz there. And then from there, you can find everything else. Sounds great. Let's go ahead and do some picks. Joel, do you want to start us off with picks? I will start us off with picks. I have two, and these are in the vein of uh, Stoic philosophy. So I know something that John and I both share. One of them was written in the 30s as America was starting to develop machines to kind of save some of our labor, and we were having more and more free time. And at that time, this author, Mr. Nash, was worried we would use our free time to just become a nation of spectators instead of the Greeks had these ethos of if you have time, you develop your mind, you develop your spirit, you develop your body, you help your community. He was afraid that America didn't really have an ethos of what to do with free time. So he wrote this book predicting some things that might happen to us with all this free time. And it was very cool and very prescient about what actually happened. And the second is a classic. It is the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. We think of like those people from 2000 years ago kind of as primitives, but it's amazing what stuff they had figured out about how to live a life that really is of high quality and affects other people in a positive way. And Marcus Aurelius is one of the better writers for summarizing some of that Stoic philosophy of how to achieve that in life. So those are my two Stoic picks for the week. Nice. Brad, what are your picks? So one of my picks is actually, um, I, I like blue jeans kind of a lot, but I don't like buying them too often. And so I've tried to find a very durable raw denim kind of thing that would last a long time. And I settled on unbranded jeans because I also don't like a ton of branding a lot of times. So, uh, they're completely plain. They don't have any stamps or anything, a blank leather patch and they're, uh, pretty cool raw denim jeans. So I'm going to plug those because I've been wearing one. I just got my second pair. My first pair I wore for about a year and then I ordered another pair uh, so that I could have two pairs of jeans. I'm pretty simple that way, but I'm going to, so I'm picking those. And then uh, I would say if you wanted to find out more about stoicism, uh, I've, I'm a huge fan as well. And one of the things that I looked at was the daily stoic 
Uh, they have like Twitter and an email list and it's, it's pretty cool if you're getting into it, if you're already into stoicism or have done some of the reading and it's not as impactful, but, uh, really enjoyed daily stoic. And then, uh, I'll throw in a link. Um, I, I was laughing along when you said the thumbnail thing, uh, about YouTube, because I started putting like decent thumbnails on my videos and the click rates just jumped. It was ridiculous. Yep. I was so mad I hadn't been doing it before. So uh, I'm, I, I've already picked like sparkadobe.com to, to do that. But um, I'll throw in a couple uh, of my video links so people can check out how bad videos can be and still pick up traction. <laughs> nice. Petra, what are your picks? Yeah, there's a, a book that I read. Um, actually, I, I got it on Audible first called Oversubscribed by Daniel okay. Priestley. And I really liked that one. So I ended up reading his other books as well. I ended up listening to them on both Audible and then I bought the books as well because I, I really enjoyed them. So, I, um, yeah, I, I recommend that book. I'll, I'll supply links for that one. Awesome. I'm going to throw in a few picks. Um, one of them, so I've started doing video a bit. Um, I invested in a camera and I just use my microphone, record into my computer and then sync it up because I feel like I get better audio quality that way. Um, but, uh, I was going to say the camera I have, and it's kind of nice, so you can get it if you want it, but I'm just going to say this camera is the bomb is the, it's a Nikon 5,400, I think is the number on it. I'll have to double check. And then I also picked up a, uh, teleprompter and I'm using a teleprompter app. Um, and that really helps as well because, um, it has some AI in it. So it'll listen to you and it'll scroll. It's pretty good. Um, what you're saying and that way I can stay on script and I can get the message done and I'm getting better at reading. I am really terrible at <laughs> reading stuff aloud and not screwing it up. But uh, I've also found that if, if I'm talking and I'm animated and I kind of animate and then I skip over cause I, you know, I chopped out a bunch of video. Most people don't, don't even notice. So um, like John said, you know, I just get that take, I get it in there um, and I just go for it. But I really like having a teleprompter and uh, the teleprompter app. I'll get links to all that stuff in there. Um, I picked all that up uh, because I wanted to do some audio, uh, video courses. Um, and the course that I got on courses is called Course Creator Pro. And uh, you can get that at devchat.tv slash ccp. It'll just redirect you through. Um, but it's, it's terrific as well. And they actually walk you through like editing videos and things like that as well. So um, recommend that. Um, and those are my picks. John, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, just curious what you're, what you're using for teleprompter. Is it a parrot? The... No, it's not a parrot. Let me see if I can find the link. Go ahead and do your picks, and then I'll shout out what brand it is. Okay. So in the uh, tradition so far of doing Stoic picks, I'll pick uh, uh, Seneca's Moral Letters to Lucilius. Uh, really good. That's probably my favorite Stoic texts uh not all the letters are are great but these are real letters that, that he wrote and there's some really good gems in there i'll put the link to it you can get them for free there's some books that you can find the problem with the books is they cut out some of the letters they they edit them out and they only pick the ones that they think are relevant but i like to read through the whole thing in fact i was doing a youtube series where i was reading and pro providing commentary on every single one of the letters of lucilius for some time but it got so little views that i stopped so i might just create another channel and do that because i i enjoyed doing that 
And then the second one I'll pick here. This one's, this one's kind of weird. Okay. It's called uh, my big toe, my big theory of everything. And I just finished up the, the trilogy of this book series. I had written, read the first book a while back. It's by Thomas Campbell. And it is literally this guy uh, who wrote it, Thomas Campbell's theory of everything, of how the entire universe works. And basically he has this model where we're in a virtual reality and there are multiple layers of virtual reality and he has the physics for it. I mean, it's really weird. Like it's, it's definitely worth reading at first when I started reading this, I was like, well, this guy's nuts. He's a crackpot, but all of his stuff fits together. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, hundred percent sold on what he's saying, but it's, it's pretty interesting. It explains a lot of things that are unexplained in science, you know, under his, his theory. And he's, he's kind of an interesting character. I actually had him on my YouTube channel at one point, but, uh, but that book series, like if you're interested in like really weird type of stuff, uh, that's that, that book will, that book series will blow your mind. It, it is, it is pretty insane. So, so the teleprompter I got is a glide gear brand. And okay. I got, I got one that my iPad would fit into ah, okay. because, because it, it made the text a little bit easier to read because yes. some of them will take an, an iPhone, but then it's trying to either magnify the iPhone, which you get varying results on, or it's just tiny like your iPhone. So you have to be within a certain distance and I'm nearsighted. So uh, if I don't have my glasses on, uh, sometimes it's a little bit tricky to read if it's too small. Okay, because I have the the iPhone one, the Parrot one, and it's 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 too small. Yep. That's, yeah, that's that cool. that was my experience. I I tried one of those. It wasn't a Parrot; it was another brand. I can't remember, but yeah, it, it was just it didn't work because it was too small for me. And uh, it's the Nikon D fifty six hundred is the one that I have. I got the one with the two lenses, the um, uh, eighteen millimeter to fifty five millimeter and the seventy millimeter to three hundred millimeter, so I can get some good distant shots and some good up close shots. And I, I'm not getting much more fancy than that, even with my photography. So you need to hook it up to your, you're not using it as a webcam, right? I am not using it as a webcam. Yeah. You should hook it up as a webcam. You I should, need... I should just hook it up right here. I've got yeah, a, yeah, a little box. I forgot what it's called. I can look it up for you, but it basically allows you to take any HDMI and put it and make it a webcam. Yeah, I've got one of those too. I can't remember uh, what it's called either. Yeah, like a yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, in fact, um, I'll go ahead and put up a, I'll put up a link. I'll slip it into the chat in a minute, but uh, I have a kit. It's kit.com or kit.co uh, oh, yeah. for all of my audio equipment. I'll just put up another one for the video equipment that I've got. But yeah, then, then people can go see what all we're talking about here. All right, John. Well, thanks for coming. This was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. All right, folks. We're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up. And until next time, Max out. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.